For those of you guys that don't know, um, welcome to Community Elko. What Community Elko is, is a place where Christians and non-Christians from different churches and everywhere in between, all over town, come together on Sunday nights to worship God through music, to worship God through prayer, and to worship God through the study of His Word. So if it's your first time, welcome. It's, it's awesome to have you here. Um, we're going to start. Open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to, uh, to get going here as we cover some good stuff. So who, and also another thing I want to remind you guys too is, I'm not Pastor Nate. I'm Brother Nate. So I, I'm just somebody that lo- likes to study God's Word and preach it to you guys and get response. I like discussion. So please, um, if, if, if we're going along, cruising through something, and you have something to say, a testimony, an explanation, uh, something a verse means to you, uh, an application of a verse in your life, or just straight up something encouraging to share, please speak up. Um, I don't want to be the only one talking. I want to talk as a community and, and study the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, who remembers what Seth talked about last week? Fire away. Preaching the gospel. What specifically was he talking about in preaching the gospel? Do you guys remember a, a certain topic per se that he talked about? All right, here's what he talked about. Uh, he started off basically with a quote, and the quote was this I will do anything but sin to reach people for Christ. That, I mean, you think about that a little bit and Let it soak in. I will do anything except sin to reach people for Christ. So somebody says, oh, oh, I disagree with that. Let's do some examples here because Paul doesn't. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. um, Basically what this verse, what what that quote means is when Jesus died, came, died, and rose again and told us to go, he actually meant it. He didn't just kind of throw it out there. You know, if somebody gets the time, let's just go out into the community. He said, go. Okay, Jesus left his culture and his place in heaven, came down and completely adapted to our culture, ate our food, wore our clothes, um, did the parties that we did, yet he did the entire thing without ever sinning, right? Jesus never sinned. Who thinks Jesus sinned? Yeah, good, because he didn't. Uh, we have other examples of this too. Paul, somebody read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 19 through 23. We're just going to read that whole little paragraph, 19 through 23. Who wants to read it nice and loud? Chrissy, nice and loud for me. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without God, or being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak, because I was weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I may, that I might be all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it again for sake of the podcast. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, as one out, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So basically, here's what Paul said. Target... Jewish people. I want to reach the Jewish people for God. What does Paul do? Becomes like the Jews. He just said it. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. He dressed like the Jews. He ate the food the Jews ate. He went to the places the Jews went. 
all this time gospel-minded. Now let's say, okay, well, let's go outside the Bible. Who else did it? Seth talked about somebody named Hudson Taylor who was a missionary to China. Hudson Taylor was one of many missionaries to China. Who's ever heard of Hudson Taylor before? Yeah. Hudson Taylor was one of many, right? He, he's over there in China. They're, they're all witnessing. They're all evangelizing. And they're not seeing the fruit they want to see. I mean, they're, they're doing everything right, but they're just, they're not seeing the fruit that they actually want to see. So what does Hudson Taylor do? Comes back, grows his hair out, learns Chinese, learns to eat their food, becomes like the Chinese, goes back to the Chinese people, and the outcome was astounding. Okay? Hudson Taylor just pulled a Paul. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. That's what we're supposed to do, guys. You, you, whoever said, who, who believes this statement that Jesus, that there, heaven has its own culture? Who would agree with that? I, I'm pretty sure the Bible's explicitly clear that heaven has its own culture. And we have our own culture, and ours is sick. Heaven's is perfect, but ours is disgusting. Okay? But in order, Jesus came down from his culture into ours and adapted our culture, dressed like us, ate like us, went to the same things we went to partied, quote-unquote, with us. But yet this whole time without sin, he was here to reach the people. So what Seth talked about was this, this point that in order to reach people, we need to be with the people. We need to be like the people, not with, but yet without sin. So, um, for example, Paul, Hudson Taylor, that's what they did. So that's what Seth talked about. Go down to verse or chapter 10 is where we're going to start. Um, I want to ask you guys a question first. What do you think of when you hear the word idolatry? Just what, what comes to your mind? Somebody throw stuff out. Graven images. Graven images. That's the first one that came to my mind. What else? Money. Money. What else? Cheating. Cheating. Sure. Idolatry. Some, that, and that's the first thing I thought of was, I actually thought of like golden calf, right? Like, oh, as soon as I hear idolatry, whoever, who's seen that movie Prince of Egypt, that Disney movie? Fantastic. Own the soundtrack. Amazing. A little embarrassed of that, but that's okay. Um, okay, but, you know, I may think golden cow, but really the reality of idolatry is this. They're not literally worshiping, like, the cow that they made. What are they, what are they worshiping? They're worshiping what the cow represents, right? Like, cows would be, like, fatting food and plenty and then they would have sun gods but they didn't just worship that image of the sun they were worshiping what the sun can do they were worshiping and understanding that without what the sun did they would die there would be no plants they had sex gods they weren't worshiping this thing that they made but they were worshiping what they made what it represented and that was life and that's what we're going to talk about this is what we do they essentially in reality were worshiping what the idols did for them and that's what we're going to talk about. So, that was the intro. I'm going to try to move this time so I can get through this. But talk to me, feedback. If you want to say something, say it. Just cut me off. Um, I want to propose uh, a question to you guys. Or actually, not a question. I want to propose a statement to you. And here, here it is. The main problem in your life, the main problem in your lives, number one in my life, the main problem in your and my lives is a worship problem. Okay, I'll say it again. The main problem in your life is a worship problem. Here's what we're going to talk about. Because when you worship the true and living God, and I'm talking about true worship. I'm not talking about how great is our God at church and then go home and do your own thing. I'm talking about a lifestyle of true worship to the true and living God. If that is you, then everything else in your life falls right into place. Okay? So, the main problem in your life is a worship problem. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians up until now has been basically saying this. If Jesus is not the center of your life, something will be. If Jesus Christ is not number one, something or someone will be number one. That number one spot is always full, right? I, I, I can't imagine anybody in here just not having something that means more to them than anything else, but we have a lot of sec number twos, right? We all have a number one. Um, even if you're an atheist, I thought this was cool. As I was studying this, um, Harvey was saying on the podcast, even if you're an atheist, 
you still have something that you worship. What do you guys think an atheist worships? Self. What else? What does an atheist worship? Music. Any hobby? Sure. One thing that I thought of that an atheist would worship is is um, the fact that they, they're not accountable to anybody or anything, which, which ties in with self. They worship the fact that there are no consequences, that they decide right and wrong, basically that they are God. That's what an atheist worships themselves. Yeah, oh man, it's huge, and it thrives. whole lot of me, me, me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So even an atheist has something they worship. Now check, this is another cool little factoid here, a little statement he said. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. And that's what we're going to talk about here. So the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it's idolatry. All right, who knows the Ten Commandments? I'm going to, I'm going to use that to prove our point here by saying, um, that the main problem in our lives is a worship problem. Who can quote all the Ten Commandments in order? Fire away, buddy. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. Uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Shall not kill. Shall not kill. Shall not steal. Shall not commit adultery. Bam. That's impressive, dude. Yeah, bear false witness. That's a lie. Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing. I, I went to a Christian school for four years and I still can't do it. I mean, I can eventually get them, but not in order. Um, okay, here's something that they proposed. Martin Luther, who knows who Martin Luther is? The great reformer, Protestant Reformation, nailed the 95 Theses on the church door, Martin Luther. He said this regarding idolatry. He said that you must break one of the first two commandments before it's even possible to break any of the others. Okay? He said you must break one of the first two commandments before it's even possible to break the others. Here's the first two commandments. One, you shall have no other gods before me. If you have another god uh, before Christ, what is that? What? An idol. Idolatry. The second one, you shall not make any graven images. If you make a graven image and worship it, what are you practicing? Idolatry. Okay, so Martin Luther said, you cannot break any of the other commandments unless you first break one of the first two. Idolatry. So I use that to back up the point that the main problem in your life is a worship problem. All right. Here, here's, here, here we go. Pastor Tim Keller of a church in New York City, here, here's what he said. And this was kind of cool. This really helped me as I was studying this. He said, here's what we do a lot of times as, as humans. And I want a little bit of feedback from you guys on this. He, he proposed this, that we oftentimes in our, in our human lives, we create our own personal hell for ourselves. Okay, whether that be lack of money, lack of acceptance, uh, I'm not popular boyfriend, girlfriend problems, whatever. He said, we create our own personal hell. That way, we can turn around and in turn create our own functional savior that can save us from our own personal hell. I think we do that a lot. Have you ever thought about that? We, we make things super big deals and super big problems. That way, because nobody wants to stay in their problem, we immediately, number one priority becomes, how do I escape from this problem, Right? We need a savior. What do we turn to? Alcohol. Okay, we turn to alcohol. I need to escape. We turn to a relationship. I'm not popular at school, so I'm going to go date the most popular girl. She will be my functional savior from the hell of unpopularity. Does that make sense? We do this with everything. We do this with money. Oh, my hell is I'm so broke all the time. I'm never going to have any money. So instead of Jesus, I'm going to create my own savior and I'm going to go find the highest paying job I can no matter what it is. No matter what it takes me away from, no matter where it puts me in my relationship with God, I don't care because that job will function as my savior from the hell of being broke that I've created for myself. Does that make sense? What's that? Oh, huge. Drugs, big time. I'm depressed. I don't like what's going on. If I take this drug, it saves me from that. Maybe for just a little bit, but it does, right? 
That's a huge example. All right. We create our own functional savior to save us from our own personal hell. Here, here's the deal, guys. The beauty of the gospel, and that's what this is all about, right? We're here because of the gospel of Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that it allows you to skip all the crap, to skip all the lies, to skip all the time-wasting deceit going on in there and let, let you cut straight to the chase and fix the real problem, which is a worship problem that you have. Okay, that's the beauty of the gospel. Here we go. Here's something I needed. And the, the podcast that I was studying was really, really thorough in this. He really wanted us to embrace the fact that we are all idolaters and that we all have worship problems. So here we go. Questions to identify our idols. Because I guarantee you every single person in here is an idolater. Here we go. Number one, what do I worry about the most? Don't think, oh, my test next Friday. No, it's not like that. What in your life do you worry about the most? That is your idol. Okay, here's another one. What, what if I lost it? In other words, what if something was taken away from me? What if I lost it would cause me to maybe not even want to live? Okay, in other words, I would die if I lost this. Literal, like I would not want to be alive if this wasn't in my life. That's your idol. Okay, that is what you worship. Here we go. What do I lead with in conversation? This one hit me hardcore. Who, where is your identity? When you start a conversation with somebody, what is your opening line about yourself? That is your idol. That is what you want to be known by the most. That one really hit me in the face. Because a lot of time for me, it's, oh, you know, music or something else. Yeah. A real subtle one that we have to fight all the time is our own children. Oh, yeah. Our own children. Because it looks so good and it looks so right, you know, to place them first. The danger is first before a spouse, but we put first before God. Yep. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Um, Pastor Harvey said that we've said a million times in the study of 1 Corinthians, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Okay? When good things become God things, they are now bad things. And that's exactly with, with kids. It can be, well, I'm going to pour all of my time into my children. I'm going to put them first. They can be your idol very, very quickly. Yep. This is me. Yep. That one really hit me. Here's another one for what do? Or here's another one for you kids in school. What do I daydream about? <laughs> I mean, think about it. When 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 you're supposed to be doing something else, when you're supposed to be focusing on something, and instead you allow your mind to go to where it it wants to go more than anything. That place that you travel to is your idol. It, it just took the place of God. Did you go to God? No. So you went to something else. That's your idol. It took the place of God. Here's another one. For what do I want to be known? How do I want people to know me? Here's another one. What would really make me happy? That one's huge for all of us. I guarantee it. If somebody came up to you and asked you from the deepest part of your heart, they said, Christy or Audrey or Christina, what would really, really make you happy? The answer to that question is your idol. And here's, uh, here's the last. Here's two more. One, or that's oh, the last one. What do I have that if God took away from me would seriously cause me to want to turn my back on God? Now, we're not talking suicide here. We're, we're talking, um, what if God took away from you that you have would cause you to seriously doubt God? I think of uh, Rosalia's situation with the money. You want to talk about strength and faith to have a hospital bill that big and still have your face turned toward God? That's convicting to me. Money is a weakness for me. I'm huge. As soon as I start, as soon as I start losing money or I'm not seeing all that money, what do I do? freaking out. How can I fix this? 
I'm not going to have this. Me, 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 me. What can I do? I do, I do. What do I not have? Where's Jesus in that? Did you hear his name one time? I didn't. I heard a whole lot of me. Who's my idol? Me. Money. Yeah, exactly. That one means a lot. What do you have that if God took away right now would make you hate God? That is your idol. Um, A lot of us claim to have God, but we only worship God as long as we're getting the things we want. This is huge. You want to talk about, turn on your TV and listen to some of those TV preachers. Oh, man. If you don't have an open Bible, which they rarely use anyways... I mean, if you watch some of those TV preachers, you will rarely hear from the Bible. It's a whole lot of what they have to say to you. Okay, A lot of us claim that we're Christians, claim that we love God, but it's as long as we're getting the things we want from Him, whether it's peace or money, blessings of various kinds. But what if you didn't have those things? Would you still worship God? What if everything was stripped away from you? Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your job, your health health what if you weren't what if you were sick your kids what if something happened to your kid who is your idol yeah job there it is right there okay job god took everything or allowed satan to take everything from job even to the point where his family was like job dude curse god and die just die yeah you gotta love his wife she's just right there model woman honey You look disgusting. Curse God and die so that this can end. Okay? If God took that away from you guys, would you still be here? Honestly, yeah. Honestly. Would would, would he even be a priority? Would you even think about him? Would you still say in the middle of everything, God, your grace is enough? I think it's crazy when the Bible says, I think it was Paul now, I just had like a brain spasm, where he said, God, your grace is sufficient for me. What if that's all you had? What if God took your job and car and health and everything else, but he said, I still love you, is that enough? I don't know. All right, chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. While you're turning there, this was, this was really good here. Uh, One thing that Harvey said while you guys are turning there, he said that God will not be a prostitute to your idols. Okay, God will not be pimped out to give you what you're really worshiping. He deserves your love and your grace, even if you get nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even a ministry. Yeah, a ministry. You can be the head of a ministry, a ministry that that may even be bearing some fruit, but do you realize that that ministry could be your idol? Somebody raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely could. Definitely could. It's amazing when you really get down to it, what, how, how, how bad of idolaters we really are as people. Um, who wants to read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5? Nice and loud. Somebody who hasn't read. First Corinthians chapter one through ten of we've been studying has basically all summed up under the phrase, if God is not number one in your life, something will be. Chapter ten and continuing on for the next couple chapters is going to tell us and tell you exactly what that thing is. Uh, here we go. I'm going to read that again for sake of podcast. 
1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You, you guys you talked about that movie, Prince of Egypt. You guys remember that story where Moses led God's people as a whole out of Egypt. Everybody's pretty familiar with that story. Um, here's what he's saying here. It's possible to be in a Christian community, have the benefits of Christianity, be involved in your church, be involved in other ministries, be under the title of God's people, and yet not even know Jesus Christ. It's possible. You can be the pastor of a church and not even know Jesus Christ. Not even be saved. Guarantee it happens. Um, I've, had, I've had people say to me when I propose that to them, well, I have a you know, Masters of Divinity Theology, you know, Lord of the Rock, Son of the Ages, Bachelor's, Master's, Doctorate degree. And I'm like, atheists can get that degree doesn't mean anything. An atheist can go get any Christian degree he wants to. Does that make him a knower of Jesus Christ for even a second? My, I remember being told, you know, like, um, does that, it's the same thing. Would be if, you, if Seth goes and stands in a garage, is Seth a car? No, right? It's, that's what he's saying here, okay? Um, the people, what's that? A little smart car. <laughs> but basically what, what that passage was saying and, and what Paul was telling them is that, look, God's people as a whole came out of Egypt with Moses. And yet, as the verse says, God was displeased with most of them. Were they not called God's people? Were they not drinking from a hole in a rock that Moses bashed with a stick? Was not everybody drinking from that? And yet God says, I was displeased with a lot of them, most of them, because they didn't even know me. Okay, that ties in with us here in churches, right? Oh, well, I'm a member of this church or I go to this church. So what? I don't care. God doesn't care. You shouldn't care. It should be, I'm a member and a partaker of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. I know him. I trust him. I live my life for him. You may worship at these different places, but they shouldn't be your identity because your identity as whatever a Baptist or whatever you are can't save you. You can go stand before God right now and he's going to say, like, what? And you're going to be like, I am a member of a Baptist church. He's going to be like, depart from me. I never knew you. Where's your identity? It's got to be in Jesus, okay? They, these people with Moses, they took all the benefits of being God's people, yet they didn't even know him. Verse 5 says that with most of the people, God wasn't even pleased, okay? He wasn't even, he wasn't even pleased with them, most of them. And these were, quote, unquote, God's people. Just because you go to church, just because you come here, it doesn't make you a Christian. Don't think you're going to go to heaven because you went to community on Sunday night. Please don't think that. That's the biggest lie from hell that you'll ever hear is that just because you go to church, you're going to go to heaven? Absolutely not. Without what Jesus did on the cross for you, it's hell. That's the way it is. God loved you so much that a simple trust and prayer in what he did on the cross for you means you go to heaven. If you go to hell, it's because you chose it. You rejected God. Okay? Uh, let's see. If you're, if you're not coming here to worship, to sing, and to get to know Jesus... If that's, why, if that's not why you guys came here, then you're wasting your time in idolatry. An idol is whatever you love, whatever you trust, and whatever you obey. Verse 6. Who wants to read that? Yeah. Nice and loud, buddy. Okay. These things became our examples so that we won't do it. I mean, how much clearer can that get? He's like, we have an entire history of the result of idolatry so that we can look at it and not do it. That's what he just said. But, but how many, 
I don't know. It doesn't really work for me, guys, honestly. Does it not work for anybody else in here? Like somebody can tell you, literally can come tell me. My dad could say, Nate, I've, I've been exactly where you are. If you do this, then this will happen. I promise you. I know it's going to happen. That's probably not enough for me. Honestly, I'm probably going to say, I will make my own decision. I don't care that it's happened 100% of the time, every time that this situation has happened in the past. Somehow I'm going to be different. No. Paul just told him here, look, we have this history to show you what happens with idolatry so that you won't do it. It's, it's very simple. We're told about this so we can see the failure that occurs when we turn to idolatry, but yet we still do it. Verse 7, we're cruising. Somebody who hasn't read yet, nice and loud. Okay, what's the read that first part again for me? Just the first little part. Stop. And do not become idolaters. Suggestion? Is that just is that just something he's like, oh, by the way, maybe you shouldn't be idolaters. It's a command. That's what I was looking for. Good job. Do not become idolaters. You don't get an option because God word God's word said it. You don't get a say. Do not become idolaters. Yet we do. So often we do, with things that seem to be good, as Rosalia talked about, with our kids. But when good things become God things, they now are bad things. Um, I want you guys to underline that if you have a pen. Underline, do not become an idolater, if you have that for me. Yeah, yeah it goes way into the desire. Yep. We shouldn't even want to do them. But yet we do. And I'm thinking of Paul. Um, I hope it's Paul. Gosh, I'm having these blank things in my mind. Who said, you know, I, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I, I want to do, I don't do. That, that's like the story of my life. I mean, there, there are so many things that I know I should be doing. And I want to do them, but I don't. And there are so many bad things that I don't want to do that I do. It's just, man, we need God. Imagine a godless life. I can't. No hope. No help. You go through life and your life tanks and you're standing there going, why me? And you're worshiping whatever your idol was that led you there because, like I said, the main problem in your life is a worship problem. All right. The reason you're angry all the time, the reason you're bitter, the reason you seem to be failing in everything that you try to do, the reason you're not really happy, it's because you're an idolater. It's because God is not number one. Because, listen to me, guys, if the true and living God is number one in your life, everything in your life will be in, in line with his will, and it will be right. No, and it definitely doesn't guarantee that you're going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, you can be happy in the Lord, you know, be right with God, but may not have all the material. Oh, huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Don't get me wrong. Just because you're worshiping the true and living God doesn't mean you're going to be a billionaire. Doesn't mean that you're never going to have any problems in your life ever. But it does mean that when that problem hits, you're going to go straight to the true and living God that's on the throne. Yeah, and God does send things our way to build our character. We talked about the verse that there's no trial or no bad thing that you've gone through that, that you're the only one that's ever gone through. But God is faithful who will, with that trial, also give you a way to escape that you can bear it, right? Things come our way. Don't get burdened down and think, well, I'm never going to get out of this. You are. God said, I will never, ever give you anything that buries you beyond hope because I'm with you. I'm faithful, and I will always give you a way out. That's a promise from God. Okay? Also, in that verse 7, the words, the, the, the Hebrew words for 
food and drink and play, as it talks about, they eat and drink and rise up to play. Those are actually the Hebrew words meaning like the indulgence of those things, like gluttony, drunkenness, and play is actually sexual immorality. Yeah. Just because you're serving God doesn't mean everything's right. going to be perfect, I right? I read this book um, called Practical Theology for Women. It kind of reminds me of something that the author wrote in it. Um, she was writing, first of all, she said, when you have God and you're going through life and bad things come up, you look at it and it comes from a completely different way. People, like, what, what makes somebody who um, is going through life and they have a bad day almost just want to quit life? Then a woman who has breast cancer can still encourage her daughter or her family in God. God totally looks through you, your outlook on everything. And also, like, when going through hard times and stuff like that, like, as a Christian, as somebody who's living for God and wanting what God wants, when you go through those hard times in life, as hard as they are, if you're, if you're, if you're wanting what God wants, you don't, when you look back at those hard times that you had to go through, you don't wish that they didn't happen. You're glad they happened because you see God's grace in that. And that's something where it's just like it's almost a gift that he's giving you hard times because right. you're able to see his help and his hand in everything. Yeah, geez, I wish the podcast could have heard that. I'm going to recap that as best I can. She's basically saying that... Um, Back to what my dad brought up about just because you are worshiping the true and living God, that doesn't mean you're never going to have money problems. It doesn't mean you're never going to have days where you're down. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect and never fail. But what Audrey talked about is that it does mean that your entire outlook on the purpose for those situations completely changes. You look at it from a standpoint of, wow, you know, I'm thankful I went through this trial because as I worship God through it, I can look back and see his hand working in my life all the way through that, right? That, that's amazing. How many of us can really do that? Well, trials bring cleansing if we look at it right. Oh, yeah. Because when we're going through things, instead of blaming others or whatever the case is, we need to take a step back and say, okay, where am I? Oh, yeah. What am I doing? Yep. Huge. But if there's sin in your life, then you got to stop, check it, get rid of it, repent, yep. and then still go on with God with that. Keep pressing on. James chapter 1, James says, Take joy, my brothers, when you fall into various temptations and trials, because the enduring of the 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 making it through. Notice he doesn't say that you know if you just keep trying, eventually it's going to go away. He said, no, because the enduring through and your steadfastness through these produces life and maturity. And in the end, he says in that passage, the, the end result is the crown of life. We're going to go through things. Everybody is going to. We all are. A lot of us right now are going through things. But James says, it doesn't matter what it is. Take joy. Thank God for it. Like, he just, like uh, my dad just said. You know, look at it from God's point of view. Check your life. Is there sin in your life as you're going through this? Is there something that you need to get out of your life so that God can work? That's what it's talking about here. Um, let's keep going. Who wants to read uh, verse 8? Um, Somebody who hasn't read. 10 verse 8. Yes. Whoa. Okay, does anybody know what that means? What just happened there? Let us not indulge in sex or sexual immorality as they did, because in one day 23,000 fell. What is that saying? If you were reading your Bibles at home and you read that verse, do you just skim over it? Or do you want to know what it means? What's it mean? Yeah, who killed them? God killed them. But God is love. Yeah, He is. He is definitely love. And God is also holy. And God is also just. And God will also punish sin. God killed 23,000 of them in one day. 
says, uh, I'm going to read my little notes here. It says, Paul tells of a sexual drunken party where God killed 23,000 people. I know this is hard to hear because our, our stereotype of God is this love and mercy, which is true. But there's a time, guys, when the passionate, loving God of the Bible drops his wrath on sin and punishes sin. Your sin will not go unpunished. It will not. It's hard in life. I see situations in my life where I think people are in sin and maybe it's hurting me and I, and I step back and I'm like, God, why in the world can't you punish now? God, I want to see your wrath rain down on them because I will feel so good if I get to watch that. Guess who that wrath's going to hit too? Right on top of my head. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yep. Taking joy in the tribulation of other people. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. And it's just kind of, it kind of blew me away. Okay. God already did it once, right? Did God kill an entire global population of people once before? What's that great event called? The Great Flood? Pretty sure God sent the flood, right? So God killed all the people, right? Okay, God punished sin. Is he going to do it again? What's coming? Yeah, tribulation. Yeah, well, I mean, it all, it all sums up into the fact. Now, here, here's the thing, and Seth made a good point. For a lot of people that don't really know or maybe are new to God and don't understand, that question is, well, I thought, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. God just murdered all these people, okay? Here's one thing that you're going to find out in the Christian life. One, you know, there is a God. And two, you're not him. Okay, I'm not him. His ways, the Bible actually says, aren't our ways. So, yes, God commands us, thou shalt not murder. But at the same time, God says, I will punish sin. Okay, you try to, you try to wrap your mind around this and say, well, if God can kill the sinner, why can't I kill the sinner? I've actually heard that before. If God can kill them and that's sin and that's wrong and God's going to murder them, wouldn't my murder of them be justified? No, because you're not God. Yeah, you're not the punisher of sin. God is. It's not up to us. The Bible says, revenge is mine, says the Lord. As much hate as we want, as he said again, we take joy when people are getting hurt. No, 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 no. <laughs> Right. Right. God allowed, you know, things to come back. Yeah, take them out. He used the flood, took people out with the flood, except for the only few righteous people. God's going to do it again in the end times. Wipe out the. They also have the choice. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, every, when God sent salvation and said, here's an ark, get on it and be saved, what did everybody do? You're a psycho. We don't, you know, there's no way I'm getting on that boat. Okay. God didn't just, you know, unjustifiably kill the entire globe. He gave him a choice. Yeah. Right. The plagues of Egypt. It wasn't just this un, um, how, how do I say it? Unrestrictable wrath of God coming down. Here came a punishment for sin. Right after that punishment was the choice to get right. They chose sin again, so God did it again. They chose sin again, so God did it again. Okay, it's all us. We choose it. We want it. From birth, no one has to teach us how to lie. I mean, I guarantee you every one of us has probably stolen a cookie from the cookie jar, had half of it hanging out of our mouths, and our mom said, what are you doing? We're like, nothing. Did you take that cookie? No. You know, like throw it under the sink or something. No, I didn't. No one had to teach you how to do that. You're born that way. We're born in sin. We like it. Yeah. You could do a year-long Bible study on that sentence. God does what he wants. <laughs> God's heart is pure. 
Right. And he allows the destroyers to come. Yep. Our hearts are never pure when we want to destroy someone yep. or something. Nope. And the, the promise is still true, too, when God said there's, there's no problem you're going through or no, no situation that's going to come your way that's going to be too much for you. The flood's the perfect example. You think a global flood was a pretty scary thing for those people? Did God just say, you're all going to die? No, he said, all right, guys, I'm building you a boat because I'm about to bury everything. Get on it. Yeah, but he warned the people, too. Oh, you know, I mean, countless times. Yep. One way or another. Yep. Pretty much everybody, unless you're out in an aboriginal. <laughs> sure. Even them are being reached. But when Christ says, when he comes in the twinkle of an eye, it, it'll just—I mean, twinkle of an eye is so fast it's saying, "Bam." Oh, I know. And there won't be any more after that. It, it's done. No. You guys remember Lazarus when he—he's in hell or whatever. Let's not get all technical with the terms for where he was. Looking up. Basically, I'm going to call it hell, saying God, seeing Abraham up there. And he's saying, God, you know, just send Abraham down to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in the fire. Right. That's what he says. He says, oh, well, no, you know, I can't do that. And he goes, well, then please send, send the beggar that I ignored, tormented, back to tell my family about this because they don't know. What does God say? Yep. And he also said, they have the prophets. He said, they have people there telling them. What, what, so what if I send this one specific guy? He's not going to change their mind. They're not going to believe. They have the prophets. Like you just said, everybody knows. If you're here now and you've never heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that all you have to do is trust him, Give him your life, live your life for him, and you can spend eternity in heaven. Now you know. You're gonna be you're gonna be held accountable for what you know. If something happens, if you pull out of this parking lot and get sideswiped by a car and die and stand before God, you will not be able to tell God, Lord, I never knew. Your choice is now. Do you want Jesus or do you not want him? It's as simple as that. If God's not number one in your life, something or someone will be. All right, let's go verse 9 through 10. This is going to get back into a little bit about what my dad said about how some of these people died. Who wants to read 9 and 10? Somebody who hasn't read. You are resilient, buddy. Thank you for that. But I want to get some other people who haven't. All right, nice and loud. Well, let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were Okay. Whoa. Yeah, if you don't read that and think, yeah. That's some pretty intense stuff, right? How how did some people how did some people die? Snake bite. That's pretty intense. Don't test God. The verse says, don't here, I'm gonna read it from my I, I'm gonna read it from my translation for sake of the podcast so they can hear it. Um let's see here. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble or complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Okay? God punished sin. He punished their idolatry. In the midst of these miracles as they come out of Egypt and they're thirsty and Moses walks up to a rock and smacks it with a stick and fresh water flows down and the millions of people drank, it wasn't enough. They're like, wow, that's a miracle. Let's all complain because, you know, maybe I want Kool-Aid. I'm trying to bring this into our days, right? Yeah, I have a house, but maybe it's not the house I want. I'm going to complain about it because it's not good enough. Or I have a good job. Well, maybe I don't get the days off I want. I'm complaining about it because it's not good enough. What's your idol? You, your job, your security, your time. That's your idol. We did this great word study on complaining and murmuring. Mm-hmm. Nailed to the ground or 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. You ever heard the phrase that some people can lie to themselves so much that eventually they, they think they're true? it's the truth? I mean, we do this to ourselves, guys. We, we build our own personal hells, and then we create our own functional saviors to save us from these hells and these things we're going through. And we lie to ourselves about a situation we're going through, whether it's because we don't want to deal with our sin and it has to be all the other person, that eventually, if that sin goes undealt with, People and us literally convince ourselves that we're true, that we're right. We can lie to ourselves so much that eventually we think that we're right. It's huge. We do it all the time. Here, here's a little a, a thing that I wrote down here about uh, this verse 9, about how they tempted God and he sent snakes. And then, you know, they grumble and complain and God sends the destroyer. Okay. Oh, they were complaining and God wiped them out. Complaining. Who complains? Yeah. Those of you with your hands up, you're liars. <laughs> I mean, without your hands up, you're liars. Because we all complain. I complain about everything. Ask my wife. Everything. Okay. What if I was one of those guys? Would I even be here? I'm pretty sure God just wiped me out. Let's keep going here. Something I wrote down here is, if you test God and continue in your idolatry, you lose. You lose. Test him. Continuing in your idolatry from this point on, guys, now that we've talked about this, and we've all established that we are idolaters, and there are things in our lives that are number one where God should be, if you continue out these doors without dealing with your idolatry, you are testing God, and you have lost already. You lose. God wins every single time. All right. Oftentimes, this is an interesting thing, too, that I, that I was writing in my notes here. Oftentimes, we complain to God because he didn't give us the real God that our heart desired. Right? The, remember, we go back to our questions. It, what is the one thing that if, you, if God took away from you would make you not want to serve God? What, we'll flip it around. What's the one thing that you think that if you had, you would be able to serve God better? That's your idol. A lot of times we, we forget to flip it around. It's like, well, I'm serving God, but if only God gave me this much a year, or if only God gave me this house or this car or this job or whatever, then I could really serve God to my full potential. Oh, yeah, or early retirement, she says. Yeah. If God gave me that, then I'll be able to serve God more. Really? God's not going to wait. Think he's going to wait around for you to get what you want before you're going to serve him? Yeah, it's it's running a race. You don't stop running; you endure till the end. Okay, Clo closing up here, guys. Um, let's see here. We talked about snake bites. We talked about the destroyer. We remembered that when a good thing becomes a god thing, it's a bad thing. Um, we're going to talk about two things here that, that Pastor Harvey brought out in the podcast. One of them is called, a, we're going to talk about surface idols and then source idols. Okay, here, here's some surface idols. Achievement. Things that you can gain can be an idol. I, my, my trophies, right, can be an idol. Here's another one. Helping people. Helping people can be your idol. But helping people's good. People need to help each other. Yeah, they do. And we're called as Christians to be the help for people. But when that desire in you to help people consumes who you are, and it starts taking the place of church, it starts taking the place of service to God, worship, community with each other, once your desire to help people takes that place, it's now your God and you are in sin. Once your desire to run that track competition or swim that lap, once that becomes the focus of your life as your achievement, you're now, that is your idol, and you're in sin. Here's some more surface idols. The desire to be needed. Okay, I, if I'm not doing something, if I'm not needed, then I'm just, I'm not right. Okay, I need to be needed. Here's another one. Dependence on a person. You know, if I didn't have that person, I, I would just, 
If I didn't have them, I couldn't serve God. That's your idol. Here's another one. Work. Your image. What do people think about you? The things you have. Money. Food. Suffering and getting attention can even be an idol. Well, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that always like to get attention, right? Some people, and I know a couple people from back in my high school days that would suffer visibly for everybody to see just for attention because they want somebody to come over and, and, and say, how are you? And, oh, poor you. And they're just like, yes, soak it up. I love this attention. That's your God. That's your idol. Okay, Those things can be idols. Your family can be your an idol. If God took my family away, then I can't serve him right. That's your idol. Your family's your idol. Finding your identity in other things pretty much combs it all up. Who are you? Okay, those are all surface idols. Can anybody name a few more things that might be a surface idol? Basically things that we would put in place of God. Video, yeah, you laugh, video games, huge. <laughs> we find out some of the old guys in here play Xbox. <laughs> Oh man, video games, popularity, people pleaser. You know, what if what if what if I'm not number 1 at school or man, I need to be a better athlete so that I'll be number 1. Surface idols, contentment, being happy. Um those surface idols can all be kind of balled up and put under one of four what we're going to call source idols. The source of those. Here here are the four things. Comfort, approval, Control or power. Those are source idols. All of our surface idols can be balled up and brought under one of those four things. Comfort in our lives. Approval in our lives. Okay. Control in our lives. And power in our lives. All right. It's one of those things. We all have these problems. All those things we want. If we had all the comfort, all the approval, all the control, and all the power in the world, then we would be fine, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, for sake of podcast, he's saying that you can find the richest, most powerful people in the world, and they're not happy. Because it doesn't change you. They, they've placed their identity in all of those things, and it's empty. It fails them every single day. Here's the beauty of it, guys, and here's where we're going to tie the whole reason we're here, the gospel. If it's not about the gospel, we can put all of our secondary doctrine. I'm a pre-trib. I'm a post-trib. I'm a, I believe in speaking in tongues. I don't. That doesn't matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ matters. My boss said it, speaking of the rapture, by the way, which... For your information, the Bible does not tell us when it's going to happen. So you may call yourself a pre-tribber, but you could be wrong. doesn't matter. My boss told me this the other day. He goes, I'm a pan-tribber. And I was like, what? What is a pan-tribber? What does that even mean? And he's like, I don't know, but it'll all pan out in the end. I was like, dang. So from now on, I'm a pan-tribber. That's what I am. You know, if... I personally think that Scripture leans toward a pre-tribulation rapture. A lot of people don't. But you know what? If, it, if it's not, I'm just going to be waiting for God through it then. Oh, man. God is in control, not us. Yep. Yep. And here's how here's how we tie the gospel back into this, guys. Our source idols, comfort, approval, control, and power. All those things that we want, you guys, who is the ultimate of all four of those things? Somebody please say Jesus. Thank you. Jesus is the ultimate control, the ultimate power the ultimate source of approval and the ultimate source of comfort that we can ever have in our entire lives. So why don't we just go for Jesus instead? It's simple. 
right? It's not that hard. Well, I want to be accepted. Jesus made you, accepts you, and loves you more than you could ever imagine. Take Jesus. Why not? Well, I want, you know, I want power. There's no power in anything except Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have ultimate power. And I'm not talking about the power to go do things that you want to do. I'm talking about the power to endure life, the power to get through your struggles, the power to help other people, right? Jesus is all these things. He's control. God's in control. Do you think that, who, who saw the news? What's happening right now in Japan? What? Floods, earthquake, huge earthquake. Do you, do you think the Bible never told us that there's going to be a crap ton of earthquakes coming in the end times? The Bible's full of it, yeah. Yeah, nuclear power plants are melting down. Now, does that mean that God's not in control? Of course not. Okay, here we go. Who wants to read verse 11 and we're closing up right here? Okay. We're told the consequences of idolatry, so don't do it. Some people ask about the end times like we're talking about. We're in it. The end times is the times between the period between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. It's all the end. We're in the end times right now. We're all waiting. Can I have a, a little true life analogy? I'll make it real short because I know time. Sure. It's Max Lucado. He's a Christian author, and he had... Um, they were in a family get-together. His daughter falls into a pool or a pond and um, drowns. They revive her, and he takes a moment after she's revived to go to a quiet place and sit and praise God and thank him for this and that and this. And then there's a quiet pause, and he hears nothing, and then the Lord says, But if she had drowned, would I be any less worthy of mm-hmm. her praise? Yep. What if it doesn't work out the way you want it? Is God still who he is? Did God change? It's huge. If we would all actually apply that, things would be so different in our lives. Um, God could come back at any second, guys. You've got to stop worshiping idols. If something is number one in your life, get rid of it because you don't have your next breath. You're not guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> all right, verse 12 through 13. Who wants to read that really fast? Just to interrupt you for a second. Yes. You're not guaranteed that next breath. Right. Tell your wife. Um, today, uh, I was, we were here at church and we had muffins at church. And I was eating and I was messing with the kids. And I started to choke on it. Like, like it hit the back of my throat. And my, my throat <laughs> swole up. And I, I could not breathe. And, like, my mom's trying to give me juice. <laughs> but you know nobody their first instinct was to pray and God was like I need to be first in your life like I personally should have been like okay God I need to breathe you know help me out here Right. That should, he should have been first on my mind and everyone else that should have been their first reaction was to pray Yeah. and God was just kind of like basically like if it wasn't for you dad you might not have walked out of church today oh yeah that's huge. That, <laughs> hit home for you this morning, huh? Yeah, it's, it's true, guys. Who wants to read 12 and 13 real fast?
temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There it is. For sake of podcast 12 and 13 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And here's the verse we are talking about, guys. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay? God is God. You are not God. If you think you're fine, you're not fine. We're all trying to strive to be like Christ. And as long as we're down here on this earth, it's a lifelong battle. Lifelong struggle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's right there. Yep, and a lot of times I wrote down here in my notes, you know, it's, it's big and heavy to think about this, but it has to be put this way so that you can take, step back from your situation, take a look at the trial, the sin that's involved, the things that are going on, because you, we need to see sin for what it is in its purest, rawest, most evil, disgusting form. Once we see sin for what it really is in our lives, Only then can we really see what God is in our lives. We have to see sin, and then we can see God. And then once we see God, we look out and we can see sin for what it is. And it's not a wonder that sin has to be punished when you look at it through God's eyes. It's not a surprise. Verse 14, last verse. Um, I know we went crazy long tonight, guys. It's actually your fault because you all did what I said and talked to me. So you have nobody to blame but yourselves. So verse 14, and let's close it up. That's about as basic as it gets, right? Run from idolatry. Simple. You have to make a choice. Nobody's going to make you run. No one's going to make you do it. You have to make a conscious decision every day. I am going to run from idolatry. Notice it doesn't say fight it. He doesn't say stand and bear arms against idols. He says, get out because it's stronger than you. Run from it. Don't just run from it. Run to Jesus Christ. You can run and just keep running in the wilderness. You're never going to get anywhere, guys. You have to run to the answer, and the answer is Jesus. Stop looking for and worshiping the idols of approval, comfort, control, or power, because as we said, guys, Jesus Christ is already all of those things. Okay, why are we looking past Jesus? He's right there, and we're looking right past him. Stop it. Make Jesus number one, because if God isn't number one in your life, something or someone else will be. So let's pray, and then we'll worship a little bit and then hang out. Thank you guys for bearing with it. It was awesome discussion. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, Lord. And God, I thank you so much for these people, Lord, and their, their outspokenness to make up a word, Lord, for this discussion that we had. And It just blows my mind, Lord, that a people will come right on the the eve of a whole new work week, Lord, and say, you know what? No, I'm going to go fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to go pray with them and worship with them because I need Jesus for this next week. God, I pray that you'll bless each and every one of these people here, Lord, for giving of their time, which is one of our most precious commodities anymore, Lord, in a world that wants to move faster and faster and faster. God, we have to slow down for you. I thank you, Lord, and praise you for what you're going to do. Be with our worship tonight, Lord. Help us to sing loud and to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.